0: So I invite you to look at James chapter 1, and we will start reading the words of the living God in verse 19. Let's start reading verse 19. Holy Scriptures say this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Did you notice there was a couple times that God mentions the idea of being deceived? The emphasis... Here, that God wants you to understand is there's dangers of self-deception. It is very dangerous. And we can easily deceive ourselves, as it says in verse 22. And many of us might be like, this is one of those pictures, I'll put it on the screen for you, that I really like. It, it, it really illustrates the danger of self-deception. How many of you have seen this picture of the, the cat staring in the mirror and the cat thinks it's a lion. The cat is not a lion, but the cat thinks it's a lion. It is self-deceived. It thinks it's bigger and more powerful and better than what it really is. You know, I look at that picture of the cat looking in the mirror, seeing a lion, and I laugh, And, and we should laugh. It's funny. It's supposed to be funny. But when we look into the mirror of God's Word and see something different than what God sees, that is no longer funny. The humor ends at that point when we deceive ourselves. It's not funny when true believers fool themselves thinking that they are spiritually mature when in reality they're not. It's a mark of maturity when a person will actually look at themselves and, and honestly evaluate themselves and know themselves. And then when God reveals the way we really are and, and we, we admit what God already knows, that shows spiritual maturity. It's the immature person who does what Revelation 3 talks about. And Jesus gave, Jesus is the one who said this, and this was not a comment, a compliment, sorry. But Jesus says, the the immature person says, hey, you know, they they just go on pretending. I'm rich, I'm increased in goods, and I'm in need of nothing. That is not reality. Just not reality. And Jesus said, no. (laughs) In fact, to that church, Jesus said, no, really, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. So, it's helpful to have Jesus and the Holy Spirit reveal the way we really are, showing our self-deception. Spiritual reality, though, results from a proper relationship to God through His Word. How else are you going to know what is really inside you? Because even looking in a physical mirror is not going to reveal what's inside you, right? You need something more powerful than a mirror to reveal the way you really are. And that's why God's Word, which says it's it's sharper than a two-edged sword, it pierces into us, dividing us, doing its powerful work in us. We need God's Word to do that. And it can do that because God's Word is eternal, it's holy, it, God's Word is truth and and if we're rightly related to God's truth, we cannot be dishonest and hypocritical. Well, in these verses here, James stated we have three responsibilities toward God's Word. And these three responsibilities we'll look at today are going to open us up, reveal our self-deception, hopefully it'll help us, keep us from self-deception Hopefully, it'll help us have an honest walk with God as well as other people. Well, ultimately, we've been looking in James 1 here. We've seen that a spiritually mature person in chapter 1 is one who's rejoicing in trials. And then we saw later on in chapter 1 that a spiritually mature person then is, it knows how to handle these temptations that often come our way as a result of trials. But the one who is going to able to respond properly to trials and temptation is the one who is, who is reacting properly to God's Word. You will never be spiritually mature. You will never mature into the image of Jesus Christ unless you respond properly to God's Word, the Bible. So you have to accept God's Word. You have to then act on God's Word, and you must abide in God's Word. And that is really kind of the basic theme. The main idea of our text today, which I want to draw out is this, that spiritually mature Christians receive the Bible, practice the Bible, and share the Bible. So let's look at those three responsibilities one by one. Number one, the first responsibility that the Holy Spirit wants you to see, know, and understand is you must receive The word. And when I say the word of God, I hope you understand, I'm using that as a synonym for scripture and the Bible. The scripture, Bible, the word of God, God's word, all, all referring to the same thing. It's the, these precious words that, that are in this book that God has given to us. And so the word of God cannot work in our lives unless we first of all receive it and we have to receive it, but it has to be received in the right way. There are many people who attend churches. There's many attending church today, around the world as, as the sun makes its way, going and, and people are waking up and going to church. There's many people who will, who will go to church, hear the sermons, receive the Bible but they never seem to grow. They never seem to grow spiritually. And there's, there's many of you, and me included, who we, we listen to sermons not just on Sunday, but throughout the week. Well, what a blessing this age we live in. We can download sermons off the Internet. Now, there's great grave danger in that, and you do need to take warning. There's a lot of rubbish out there. There's a lot of heresy and false teaching. So, you need to be very careful as you do that. But, but it can be a blessing to you. And it certainly is to me. But, but the danger is that I can keep pumping God's Word into my life and do nothing with it. I'm not actually receiving it properly. Now, why, why is it that, that many people can attend a, a church service and never grow? Why is it that you can listen to multiple sermons throughout the week? And it doesn't seem to affect you. Why? Well, some people blame the preacher. <laughs> that's, that's a convenient blame shift. And, and, and granted, there's a lot of preachers out there who, who need to improve. Okay? Uh, that is certainly true. However, it also can be the fault of the hearer. So it's not just the one giving the message, but it's also the one receiving the message. And, If the seed of the Word is to be then planted in our hearts, we must obey the instructions here that that uh, James has given to us. So, let's just see what James has said. How can we receive the Bible? How can it come into our lives, take root, and bear fruit? Well, James says, first of all, your first duty, according to verse 19 there, is to be a careful listener you are exhorted to be a careful listener verse 19 says let every person be quick to hear why why is that important well you learn more by listening than you do by speaking (laughs) you can't receive instruction if you're constantly talking anybody ever told that to you can you just be quiet for a moment so we can give you instructions? It happens every year at teen camp. The teens want to talk, and then and then they wonder why they don't understand the rules of the games that we've already given them. Why? Because they've been talking. How often do we do that? God's talking, and we can't shut our mouths long enough to listen to Him. Well, there's five things that will help us be better listeners that I've gathered from various places. Number one. We must work at truly listening to others. We're bad at this, okay? Let's just admit it. We're all bad at this. All right? This is hard because listening requires an intense interest in the other person. You have to uh, obey that greatest, uh, second greatest command, Jesus says, to love other people as yourself. And it is loving your neighbor as yourself when you're showing this. Intense interest in somebody else by listening to them. It requires that we have eye contact. It requires that you have sensitivity to the other person's body language. Because you realize you and I communicate through not just words, but our body language. Eyes, the face, your hands, everything that you're doing is all body language. It's communicating. Number two, how, how else? Uh, what, what else would be helpful? Well, we must limit our exposure to visual media. See, here's the issue. If we don't control our time, you know what's going to happen? The media is going to control your time. And, and if the media controls your time, it's going to impair your ability to hear. And that's one of those problems we have today where, You've heard that the attention span has lessened. Why has that happened? Well, part of the reason that our attention spans have keep going down is because we, we pour more of our time into visual media. And so it's almost become impossible for some people to receive God's Word, the Bible, in a, in a sermon like this because they're, they're so pumped up on the visual media throughout the week. Things like TV, for example, have impaired our ability to hear the Word of God. Number three, we must read the Bible. We we must have a constant intake of God's Word. And, and that, by the way, that's going to involve more than just advancing the bookmark in your Bible. Now, I don't know if you read, do you read your Bible with a bookmark? I, I like to do that, and... Uh, I'm at the moment in 2nd Corinthians. I'm I'm just kind of slowly going through 2nd Corinthians and Philippians. And and I like the bookmark cuz it helps me to underline. I like putting marks in my Bible and taking notes and that sort of thing. And some people think, well, hey, you know, my my bookmark advanced from page 989 to 990. So so I've read God's word today and then they just go on their merry way like like James is talking about They've, they've looked into the mirror. They've seen some ugly stuff there and they do nothing about it. That's not reading God's Word. It's not, by the way, it's not ticking a box either. Because some people read through the Bible in a year. There's all kinds of Bible reading plans. Very helpful. I encourage you to use them. Alright? But just because you, you, you do what the Bible reading plan says and then you tick the box off at the edge doesn't mean you've actually read the Bible. At least not properly. You haven't received it per se. It means that we listen as we read. Number four, we must slow down, take time to listen. Sometimes we're just too busy. Sometimes it, it's like, sometimes I'm in danger when I'm, when I'm trying to communicate to my children, for example. You ever try to communicate with somebody who's in a hurry? They, they have something on their mind, they're going somewhere, and you stop them midstream while they're going to do something? Their mind is on that, and then you try to communicate to them, and and it it's like you, you walk a, here's what I have to do sometimes to some of my children, for example, I got to say, "Hey, turn your head, like sometimes they even grab their heads, look me in the eyes. I have some instruction for you. Get your mind off whatever you're doing. Look at me, I have something to communicate." and then I, I ask repeat back to me what I just said. Why, why do parents do that with children? You want to make sure you're communicating, right? And it's, it's very difficult when our minds are distracted. Our minds are on something else. And so we got the same problem when it comes to receiving the Bible. We're distracted. <laughs> it's like God has to take us, grab our heads, say, God's saying, look at me! I have something to say to you. Here's some other advice. We must prepare for corporate worship. Prepare for corporate worship. You know what? Sometimes that's going to mean that you prepare ahead of time on Saturdays, maybe even on Fridays or earlier in the week. Some of you have a hard time getting here on time. Some of you have a hard time staying awake. Some of you come. You you, you might be here faithfully, but you're not receiving God's Word. Part of that is you're not preparing ahead of time. You're not preparing ahead of time. You'll, you'll find a lot of battles will take place Sunday mornings. Why is Why do the battles happen on Sunday mornings? You know, this world, your flesh, and Satan's going to get you distracted on Sunday mornings. So you you can't even receive God's Word. So if you come in here on on a Sunday morning, you're late, you're frustrated, you've had a a battle with your spouse or your children or yourself, you know, you're, you're not ready to receive God's Word properly. And and some of you are looking at me like, how did you know that? Well, it's because I deal with that all the time myself, okay? I know. I get those battles too, okay? This world, your flesh, and the devil are going to do everything they can to stop the Word of God being implanted into your heart. It's just a little practical thing. Prepare for corporate worship ahead of time. Well, James says the second duty in verse 19 is be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. And why is that important? Well, big fast talkers are rarely good listeners. You ever notice that? You ever talk to somebody and, 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 and they're talking so fast, they're saying so much, it's not really a conversation. It's all one-sided. And, and they're going so fast and you want to say something and then you forget what you wanted to say and you're just waiting for that, that millisecond of a pause so you can say something and actually have a conversation. Isn't that frustrating, talking to that kind of a person? They're bad listeners. And James is, by the way, James is not barring a friendly, fast-paced conversation here. Neither is James suggesting that Christians are to uh, to be inarticulate. But what James is telling us, think before you speak. Dangerous to have a foot-shaped mouth like Peter. Very dangerous. Proverbs gives us much instruction on this. For example, I'll just give you one verse. Proverbs ten nineteen says, When words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. He who holds his tongue is wise. So be slow to speak. Number three, the third duty James gives us that will help us to receive the word is be slow to anger. That's what he says. Be slow to anger there in verse 19. Now why? Because angry talkers usually don't hear a thing. They usually don't hear a thing. They're just so consumed with something else that everything else is blocked out. The things that are important anyway. Sometimes we can get angry at preachers. Sometimes we get angry at the Bible itself. Sometimes we even get angry at God. And when we do that, we're not able to properly receive the Word. Did you know a lot of church fights are a result of short tempers and hasty words? Short tempers and hasty words divide Christians. It's a sin to do that. God's called us to unity, to love one another. So be careful of your short temper and hasty words. What we, uh, what we tend to do is we tend to rationalize our anger. We might call it something else that, that's a little maybe more politically correct. We might call it frankness. We might call it bluntness. We might call it, uh, I just say it the way it is, brother. I've had people say that to me. So uh, We might attribute it to our upbringing. You know, my parent is from this country over in Europe, and that's just the way we are. Or we might say, well, it's the pressure I'm under. You know, I'm just a grape getting squeezed. Well, anger like this is sin, God calls it. Again, Proverbs 29, verse 11 says this, A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. Now, why should you be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger? Look at verse 20. Because verse 20 gives you the answer. Verse 20 says that anger produces something that's ugly. It produces an unrighteous, ungodly, unchrist-like life. You are not glorifying God. The fourth duty that James gives us in verse 21 is, he says, "Prepare your heart. You cannot properly receive the word of God unless you have a prepared heart." Verse 21. He says, therefore, first of all, he says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So there's two things that James mentions here. There's a put off and there's a put on. There's something you're supposed to get rid of. Put it away. And something you're supposed to take. Notice the negative, first of all. James says, Number one, remove the sins that are hindering the reception of the Word. Remove those sins that are hindering the reception of the Bible in your life. You cannot properly receive God's Word into your life if there is blockage in the way. Here, I'll give you an illustration. Here's a picture of the workings of a vacuum cleaner. I hope you have one of these, so you understand the illustration of the vacuum cleaner. You ever used a vacuum cleaner that that has a, a some sort of a, a system for collecting the the dirt and the rubbish and the dog hair and so forth? Uh, we have one of those at home, and occasionally we have to take the bag out of the vacuum cleaner. Do you know why? Because eventually the bag fills up, and eventually the vacuum cleaner stops working it won't suck the rubbish off the ground. It becomes worthless. (laughs) Why is that? Because there's blockage in the vacuum cleaner. There's something there that's hindering the reception of that rubbish. So something has to change for the vacuum cleaner to work, right? And in our case, with our vacuum cleaner... We take out the old, filled-up bag, and we put in a new, empty one. And you know what? What a dramatic change. The vacuum cleaner works again and picks up rubbish. What made the difference? We removed the hindrance. God says you need to do the same in your own life. Remove the things that are hindering the reception of God's Word. If there's something wrong, you don't keep doing the same thing, right? You you ever heard the the definition of insanity? The definition of insanity is when you keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different outcome. But we we do that. We we keep doing the same thing, expecting a different outcome, when there's hindrances in our life that are blocking the Word of God. you got to change something. God says there in verse 21 you put away all that filthiness and rampant wickedness put it away get rid of it it's blocking it needs to be removed Oh, well, how do you do that how, how do you put off all filthiness and rampant wickedness according to verse 21 how do you do that well it starts with pray for the holy spirit to show you your sin you need to see the sin as god sees it and then When the Holy Spirit shows you your sin, then you need to confess your sin to God. You've sinned against Him. And then three, you've got to ask God to forgive you of the sin that He has shown you. And then last, you can pray for His grace to forsake your sin. We are in James chapter 1. Yep, James chapter 1. Thank you. So, James says, second of all, what what do you do? So, that's the negative. You put off, and when you you put off, you always have to put something on. Always. You replace it. So, in James 1, verse 21, we see here you got to welcome the Word. So, you get rid of those hindrances, get rid of the sin, and then, number two, you welcome the Word. You're accepting the Bible, you're permitting... God's word to carry out its sanctifying work in your life. Because look at verse 21. It says, You receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I'll give you an illustration on the screen here. It's kind of like this. If you I don't know if you have a green thumb or not, and you've ever tried to do grafting, but it is possible for you to take a branch of a different tree and then graft it in to the, to the trunk of a tree and eventually those two can grow together to be one and that's the illustration of all believers in christ if you've been saved if you've become a christian the bible says you are grafted into jesus he's the branch you're the vine and so just like a branch can be grafted onto a tree uh, and, and they can bond together as one. You know what? That's important because the nutrients then can flow between each other for the health and the goodness of that tree. They can, they can then work together as one. And that's the idea of when we welcome the word, we accept the Bible and, and we permit it to do its work in our life. It's, it's like that grafted branch, but you got to become one with it. You have to welcome it, accept it. If you prune it, then you're not welcoming it. Well, there's a second responsibility that James gives for those of us who want to be spiritually mature Christians. So he's, he said, first of all, you must receive the Bible. Notice number two, the second responsibility James says is you then must practice the Bible to be spiritually mature. You must practice it. You see, it's not enough to just hear the Bible on Sunday. It's not enough to just read your Bible every day this week. It's not enough to go download some sermons this week. Many people have this mistaken idea, though, that they can hear good sermons, And it will make them grow, and I will get God's blessing because I've listened to ten sermons off the internet this week. My friend, you are mistaken. If you think just listening to ten sermons this week is gonna get God's blessing, you are mistaken. That's not what scripture says. In fact, God says it's the doing. It's the one who's persevering and doing and practicing is the one who is blessed. Too many Christians mark their Bibles, but someone has said the Bible never marks them. Has the Bible ever marked you? I hope so. The Bible must have an impact on you. It must. Now, there's two different approaches that James talks about. If you look at verse 22, he says, Be a doer of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Again, the danger is self-deception. We can think, I'm spiritually mature because I read the Bible, I listen to sermons every week. doesn't work that way. God says you must be a doer and not a hearer only. The first approach here is found in verse 23, and it's the wrong approach, by the way. Here's the wrong approach. Look at verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Ever done that? Ever looked in the mirror? Saw something you didn't like? Well... Well, it happens to me every morning. (laughs) Every morning I look in the mirror and see something I don't like. It's me. My ugly mug, my face, I see every morning. But at least I'm trying to do something, right? You know, I'll shave and comb my hair and, you know, that sort of thing. Why? I'm looking at something. I'm trying to do something with what I can. But there's a lot of things about me that I can't do anything about. It's the way God made me so this this wrong approach here is like the person who he sees his nose, his eyes, his cheeks, the whiskers, the wrinkles, the blemishes, the warts, you know, and all that sort of stuff. He sees it all. And the longer we tend to look, the more we tend to see. Why? Well, the mirror cannot lie. <laughs> it's not a magic mirror that you're looking at, right? the The mirror can't lie. It's just reflecting the truth. And this mirror that we have here, God's talking about, is the Bible. The Bible cannot lie because it's truth. But the problem here is this, this, in the wrong approach, is when we see the truth and we ignore the truth. Reminds me of a funny story I read. I heard about a story uh, that happened during the 1800s. There was this missionary who was out in the bush. There was no electricity, and, and this missionary he had a luxury item called a mirror. And he hung this mirror up on a tree in the bush, and every morning he would go out there and he would shave his whiskers. And the mirror was helpful. It kept him from cutting himself, and he was able to get all the whiskers properly. And and one day when he was out there trimming his whiskers and shaving with this mirror on the tree, the witch doctor, the local witch doctor came along, And, of course, she, she, the witch doctor, was very curious. She looked into the mirror and immediately jumped back. She was frightened by what she saw. She had never looked in a mirror before. Imagine somebody living in the jungles of who knows where, never having seen the way they look. They've never looked in a mirror. This was her first time, and she was frightened by her looks. Immediately, she began to bargain with the missionary because she wanted that mirror. Well, he didn't want to give up his mirror. This was his only mirror, and he had no other way of getting another one, at least not for a while. He needed it for shaving. Well, the witch doctor was very, very persistent. So eventually he gave in. He reluctantly gave her the mirror. And as soon as she got the mirror, she threw it on the ground, broke it in pieces, jumping on this thing, destroying that mirror. And by the way, as she was jumping on the mirror, breaking it even into smaller pieces, she shouted, There! It won't make ugly faces at me anymore! What's the moral of the story? We, too, have many ways to deal with the mirror's truth, and our false ways don't work. Our false ways don't work. Just by so-called sweeping the dirt under the rug, sticking your head in the sand, doesn't change the way your face looks, right? She still had the same ugly face. Breaking the mirror didn't change the way she looked. You know what? That's the wrong approach, God says. That is the wrong approach to God's Word. So what is the right approach? Well, that's verse 25. God says, But... Verse 25, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he or she will be blessed in his doing. That's the right approach. So what do you do? You use the Bible like you use the mirror when you get up in the morning. right? When you get up in the morning, you look in the mirror, you do something about what you see. Well, there's... That's, that's a good illustration for the Bible. That's what you do. You get up in the morning, you read God's Word, and God shows you something that you don't like, you need to act on it. Practice what you just read. When the preacher tells you something that you don't like and the preacher stepped on your toes, and your toes are so flat that you can no longer walk, you got to do something with the Word of God. Be a doer. Well, there's three ministries of God's Word. Number one, let me share three ministries of God's Word. Number one, use the Bible to examine yourself. The Bible can be used to examine yourself. Notice it's like in verse 23, it's talking about anyone can be a hearer and a doer. There's three mistakes, though, that, we can tend to have mistake number one is where we just merely glance at ourselves. You ever walked by a mirror really fast, and you thought, "Well, you know that that I just I think I just saw myself in the mirror. It sort of looks like me," but you didn't really intently look at yourself. We do that sometimes. That that can be a mistake when it comes to the Bible. A second mistake is you forget what you see. You may have seen something but then you just kind of go on your merry way. You read something in God's Word, and you say, you know, I really need to act on that. And then the day goes on, and you never give any more thought to it. The week goes on, you never give any more thought to what God has shown you. And a year can go by, and you have not acted on God's Word. That's a problem. Number three is where we can fail to obey what the Word tells us to do. So it's not enough to just merely glance. It's not enough... Uh, Certainly, it's not good to forget, but we got to act. Failing to obey is unacceptable. Doers of the word are active people. Theology, someone has said, theology must lead to practice. By the way, all theology does lead to some sort of a practice. You've heard me say this many times, I hope. Theology drives your methodology. Theology drives your methodology. In other words, what you believe affects what you do. And that's why it's important to have sound doctrine, sound, good theology, so that you do the right thing. One of the reasons so many people are doing bad things, wrong things, and sinning against God is we have bad theology. We're believing the wrong things. So theology will lead to to good practice. Faith must lead to deeds, creed must connect to conduct so the mirror metaphor here is suggesting two things for us number one scripture is like a mirror to our souls it shows the moral and the spiritual flaws so that you and i can fix them but scripture also discloses our sin it reveals our sin to us it shows our need for a change of mind in regard to our sin we call that repentance it then it promises us grace god always gives grace when we need it now why should we gaze into the bible and obey it you may say boy that just sounds difficult that sounds uncomfortable i don't want to do that why why gaze into the bible you notice james says you look intently that's serious stuff why do that well the bible deserves our attention for two reasons James put it this way in verse 25. He says that God's law is perfect. You see that? Look in your Bibles, verse 25. God says His Word is perfect. And not only is it without error and without fault, it's complete. It is sufficient for everything you need for life and godliness. Why? Because it reflects God's perfect character. Why do we call it a holy Bible? Because God's holy. I mean, you think about it. God says, do not murder. Why, By by the way, why do most people consider murder to be wrong? Why? Because we're we're made in God's image. God said, do not murder. Why did God tell us not to murder? Because God is the one who gives life. Why did God tell us, do not commit adultery? Because God is faithful. Why did God tell us not to steal? Because God is generous. Why did God tell us not bear false witness against our neighbor? Why why did He tell us don't lie? Because God is truth. God told us all those things because He loves us. God knows what's best. And so sin is a violation against God Himself. It's a violation against His very nature and character. But notice God says that not only is His law, His word, perfect, But again, look at verse 25. It says, it gives liberty. None of us want to be in bondage and slavery. We don't want that. We we, we like our freedom. We like the liberty. God says, His word will give you liberty. And so those are at least two reasons in verse 25 why the Bible deserves your attention. So we've seen the Bible. You can use the Bible to examine yourself. Number two, look at this on the screen. Use the Bible to then restore yourself. So, the Bible's going to reveal. It's going to show a lot of ugliness. But you can then use the Bible to restore yourself. So, not only does the Bible then reveal our sin, it's going to help us to cleanse us from our sin. It gives us the promise of cleansing. In fact, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, 1 John one nine says, because God is faithful and just, because of that, then we can... Uh, confess our sins, and then God will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's the blood of Jesus Christ, the Bible says, that cleanses those of us who are guilty, and that's all of us. The water of the Word helps to wash away the, the corruption, the defilement, the rubbish. Well, there's a third ministry of the Word. So my exhortation to you is this. Use the Bible to transform yourself use the bible to transform yourself. It's interesting the word changed here in the bible. Often is that the the English we get an English word from the Greek word it's called metamorphosis. It's the process whereby an ugly caterpillar turns into a beautiful butterfly. That's called metamorphosis. That's a change happens on the outside but you know where that comes from it comes from the inside which is the work the holy spirit can do in you so it comes from the inside but it affects the outside and and that's certainly what james is saying here he's going to show us that not only do you need to receive the word that's the first duty not only do you need to practice the Word, but when you receive it properly and you're practicing it, then it's going to affect not just you, but everyone around you. It will have an effect. You will then share the Word. That's the third responsibility. Because James is very clear that you have a dead faith if you don't act on it. If you're not doing something with your faith, it's dead. It's not genuine. So James says, share the word in verses 26 and 27. He gives us several examples of what that looks like. How do I do that? Well, he says, first of all, that true religion practices God's word by controlling the tongue. How are you at controlling your tongue? Whoa. Yeah, we'll join the party. Because we all are bad at controlling our tongues. James, James describes the tongue elsewhere. I think it's in chapter three. He describes our tongue as something very small, but very powerful. Like the rudder of a ship. You know, the, the rudder of a huge, massive ocean liner is relatively small in comparison to the huge, massive ship. But that little thing controls the ship where it goes. God says that true religion practices God's word by controlling that tongue. In in verse 26 says, If anyone thinks he's religious, does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. (laughs) It is worthless. So James compares the tongue here to a powerful horse. Notice he talks about bridling. Some translations have the idea of, Reining in this powerful beast so the idea is like a powerful horse that just wants to take off on a wild ride running as fast as it can and, and, and James says grab the reins, grab them tight control this wild beast and if you've ever sat on a 3,000 kilo uh, uh, piece of muscle that wants to run as fast as it can well you're, you're going to understand you've got to hold on for dear life it's a powerful beast. It can be dangerous <laughs> riding a 3,000-kilo piece of muscle at full speed. That's the idea here. That's the idea that James is talking about. I've been on horses that are out of control. I haven't been able to control them. They just they just want to run back to the barn. I don't know if it's because they're hungry and they want their food or what, but it's, it, it, it's a scary thing when you're riding on a big horse. That you just feel like you have no control over it that way with the tongue it can be out of control and james gives us several negative examples in scripture i mean uh <clears throat> we have things like angry talk he's already mentioned that one gossip is another one gossip is is kind of the respectable sin that jerry bridges calls for christians where our conversations about the personal details of another person's life uh turn from just uh rumor we're spreading it to other people and sometimes we can even Christianize it and say hey brother or sister you need to pray for this person over here because of whatever when the person you're talking to has nothing to do with that situation we've just gossiped there's no that person can't help and so you're just spreading rumors God calls that sin gossip We can be involved in deception. We can be involved in slander. Slander is the act when you're saying something false or malicious to damage someone's reputation. Listen to what God says in Ephesians 4.29. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it, that the 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 edifying words may give grace to those who hear. God says, the negative. What are you to put off? The corrupting talk, the words that tear people down. And God says, in its place, you replace it with words that build up, edify, encourage. So true religion practices God's word by controlling the tongue. Number two, James says here that true religion practices God's Word by caring for the needy. Caring for the needy. There's several needy groups that James mentions in verse 27 because he says that religion is pure and undefiled before God the Father in this. He mentions the most needy groups of that time period was the orphans and the widows in their affliction. Generally speaking... During Bible times, those were the neediest people in the early church, the orphans and the widows. Uh, you have to remember, they had no life insurance. There was no life insurance companies. There was no insurance companies. There were no welfare programs. There was no, no government uh, like we have today that would help you out if your parents died. Jobs were scarce. By the way, the principle here applies to anybody in need. Anybody in need can come under these categories here. So James is literally saying, hey, help these people who are suffering in their poverty. Help these people suffering in their poverty. Help the the ones who are suffering exploitation. That's an orphan, by the way. An orphan's been exploited. An orphan's been given up. The orphan still has parents. Widows. have have their spouse who have died. And especially if you were female in Bible times, you were in big trouble. If if the rest of your family didn't look after you, no one looked after you. So again, no life insurance, no government welfare programs to look after you. So widows were in desperate need, especially the female widows if their husband died. So God's saying, help those who are Suffering, the exploitation, the poverty, those who are in need, particularly those in the church, that's the number one priority. And so you can practice your religion. You practice true religion by caring for the needy. You practice true religion by controlling this little member that's inside your mouth, we call the tongue. And number three, you practice the Word of God. You share the Word of God by separating from the world. James, James says you keep yourself unstained from the world. Keep yourself unstained from the world. And you say, well, what is the world? The world here is not the globe we live on. Okay, The world is not a round ball that's that's in our solar system. The world is an evil system of thought, values, beliefs, philosophies that is dominated by Satan. That is the world that God is talking about here. And so James is literally talking about a society that is without God. Society without God, and so we don't stay pure by abandoning society. That's not what James is saying. But we do gain purity by, as Jesus Jesus put it this way, be in the world, just don't be of the world. Be in the world, just don't be of the world. Some people think, well, hey, I'm going to gain my purity in life you know, I'm going to I'm going to remain unstained, unspotted and uncorrupted by the world and I'm just going to go be a hermit in the bush somewhere and I'm going to give up my phone and my radio and the television and and I'm not going to be with people. I'm not going to talk to people. No, it doesn't work that way. Is that what Jesus did? Now don't be silly. I know he didn't have cell phones and so forth. That's not the point. Jesus was described as a friend of sinners. Jesus was one who was always with sinners, but one who was unspotted and unstained by the people he was around. He was not corrupted by this world's philosophies and beliefs. He was like the ship in the water. You've heard me use this illustration. The problem is not a ship in the water. What becomes the problem is when the water gets in the ship, then the ship sinks. And that's the way you're to be. You're to be in the water. Just don't let the water inside you. Physically, we're going to dwell in this world, but morally speaking, we got to keep our distance. Don't allow those beliefs and value systems and philosophies to, to mold us into its image. Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to this world, but instead you got to use God's word to transform your mind, your thinking, so you think and you you think like God, and then you're gonna start acting like God. The world wants to spot us and defile us. The world wants to corrupt us. You say, well, how does that happen? Well, you know what? The Bible's incredibly helpful here. Let me just give you, I'll show you how this happens. Number one, James 4, verse 4. We become friends with the world. You know what, you know what uh, the Bible calls us when we do that? We're called adulterers and adulteresses when you become a friend of the world why is that because you're you're spiritually unfaithful to god you you have now started to love something more than you love god and god calls you an adulterer and an adulteress you've been unfaithful to him there's something that's 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 between you and him and so the first of all we become friends with the world second of all then that friendship is then going to lead to a love for the world first john 2 mentions don't love this world. So the friendship's gonna lead to love. Your affections are set on the thing you love. And that's why Jesus talks about, He cares so much what, about our treasure. That's why Jesus cared about the treasure that you have, because that's what you end up loving is, is what you end up investing in. And three, we become conformed then to what we love that's why romans 12 2 says no don't be conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewing of the word of god so you'll be acceptable good and perfect and then here's the end result when when you become friends with the world you end up loving the world and then and then this world is going to press you into its mold you'll look and act and talk like the world and then the end result is You'll have no spiritual growth, no maturity. You'll have no influence because you're just like the world. That's exactly what happened to Lot. Lot's the classic example of how this looks. You can see it in his life, and I've given you a picture here. First of all, read the book of Genesis. You'll find Lot uh, had a choice to make. His uncle, Abraham said lot we have a conflict do you want that side or this side whatever you pick i'm going the opposite way lot looks down toward the well water plains of the jordan there he sees "Ooh, this looks really good for my sheep and cattle i'm picking that the problem was sodom and gomorrah was also down there sodom and gomorrah was there two evil wicked cities and so we we see at first lot didn't actually go into sodom the Bible says Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. In other words, he could see Sodom. He wasn't in it yet, but he could see it. And as he kept looking at it, he kept. Then he then there's this this friendship with the world developed. He developed a strong emotion, and eventually he moved into Sodom. The friendship ended up leading to a love for Sodom, and the things of Sodom, and then we see when you read the book of genesis you find that sodom moved into lot so he pitched his tent toward sodom he moves into sodom and then sodom moved into lot and eventually the bible says he lost his testimony so that even his family no longer respected him so he lost his family and then when god when god had to grab basically grab lot and his his wife and his two daughters and drag them out the bible says god brought Destruction on Sodom and Gomorrah. He destroyed those cities because of their sin. And lost Lot lost everything. He lost his reputation. He lost his family. His wife turned around and looked back at the destruction. She turned into a pillar of salt. Lot lost his wife. Lot lost his children. Because Lot lost himself. He became a friend of the world. He ended up loving the world. And the world conformed him to its beliefs, values, and philosophies. Do you you see how that happens? It's a progression. And if Lot had seen the end result, he probably would have never even pitched his tent toward Sodom. He would have done the wise thing like Abraham to say, I'm getting as far away from Sodom and Gomorrah as possible. I I don't care how good those well-watered plains look like. That's dangerous. The Bible says you are to keep yourself unstained from the world. It was Abraham, the one who was the separated believer who ended up having the greater ministry, the lasting ministry, he had a great effect on people. He's the one whom God used. You know what? There's a big lie among evangelicals. It's sad. It's a sad lie. Many evangelicals say, hey, you've got to be like people in order to win them to Jesus Christ really does that ever work does it ever work to go sit in the pub and and get drunk with the unsaved friend so that you can win them to Christ that doesn't work God says don't be conformed to the world you got to be different from the world so that they see Christ in you he's the hope of glory he's the light of the world No, it doesn't work to be like the world in order to win them the christ however jesus though was unspotted he was the one who was the friend of sinners and he's the one whom the whole calendar now revolves around do you know the best way to minister to people the best way to minister to people is to be pure to be separate to be uncorrupted by this world so the world sees something different in you. Hopefully they see Christ in you. Don't be like them. Be different. Be like Christ. Be like Christ. So my friends, my friends, remember the theme here. If you want to be a spiritually mature Christian, In order to be a spiritually mature Christian, you must receive the Word of God, you must practice the Word of God, but then you must share the Word of God. It takes all three. It takes all three. It's not enough to just hear. You've got to be a doer and then give it out. Give it out. Let the Word of God that has made a difference in you make a difference in other people. And May God give us the grace to receive His Word practice His Word and to share His Word.